Hi everyone, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. I'm your host for Yoga Birth Babies, and today's podcast is inspired by the request of my students. So we've been running the podcast for three years, and I love to check in with my students and say, you know, what have I done that you want more of? What haven't I done? And one of my students was telling me that she's having a bit of a challenging time with her two-year-old. In her words, her two-year-old was getting a bit sassy with her, and she needed some tools for dealing with whining and the pressure of handling a new baby and a two-year-old. And I could totally relate. I remember when my kids were that age and it was quite a juggle. And to be honest, it is still quite a juggle. They're five and seven and we still have whining. We still have tantrums. So I was on the search for a speaker and I came across Dr. Laura Markham. She's a clinical psychologist and the founding editor of AHA Parenting. And her information, our talk was spot on. I immediately took some of the tools and suggestions that she offered during our conversation and applied them. And I have to tell you, it worked. Instead of feeling like my son and I were butting head to head and oh, the power of wills, I used some of the tools and it really diffused the situation. And now I'm trying to get my husband on board with some of these. So I think you're going to really enjoy the conversation. Also, I'm proud to say that the New York City teacher training, the prenatal yoga teacher training is full for the fall. Woohoo! And we have a wait list. So those that were looking to join the fall, again, you can jump on the wait list, but you're more likely to jump into the spring. And then we are also going to be in Charlotte, North Carolina, Washington, D.C., and Richmond, Virginia. So if you can't make it to New York, we'll be other places. And we've got some new stuff that I put into the teacher training inspired with the work I'm doing with birthing from within. And while I was working on that, I was also finishing off my online course, Who's Afraid the Pregnant Yogi? And I started working with this new platform, which was super easy to use and utilize. So I decided to take four of the one hour classes that I had videoed and I created like a mini course. So if you're in, if you're not in the area and you want to take some of the prenatal yoga methodology within the next week or so, at least by the time this podcast comes out, go to our website and you'll be able to purchase, I'm calling it prenatal yoga for the mind, body, and baby. And it's four videos. Plus, of course, I love to add extra. So I have a bonus abs video in there. I have some resources of podcasts and some apps that we love and some blogs that you can read. And it's you get two months of the four one-hour classes to watch at your own convenience. Okay, that's enough of me chattering. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk with Dr. Laura. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, Dr. Laura. How are you today? Uh, I'm great, Deborah. How are you? I'm Rach. Thank you for asking. I'm doing very well. I'm really excited to speak with you. Mm-hmm. And I came to your work after searching. And actually, you know what? Actually, now that I think about it, you know how it was. I had a student several students asking me about how to handle their younger children. So then I put out to my Facebook group, I needed suggestions. I'm like, who should I, who should I approach? And your name came up from several people that I respect. And so then I looked you up, I'm like, well, this person is perfect. So I'm really excited to speak with you, especially about a topic. Usually I talk about pregnancy, birth, and, and babies. So I'm excited to go a little bit mm. older. But before we jump to that, do you mind just telling me and my listeners a little bit about yourself and how you got into this work? Well, I have a PhD in clinical psychology, which means I'm trained to be a therapist and to understand all the 
the many things that can go uh, awry in human development. Uh, And I find that what I'm most interested in is raising healthy children because then things are less likely to go awry later. So I got into this work when I was finishing up grad school, finishing my PhD, and my son was born. I was pregnant my last uh, uh, at, at the end as I finished school and as I finished my coursework. And my son was born, and I realized, you know, I've just spent years reading the research on child development. But most parents don't get that advantage. Mm-hmm. Most parents wing it completely. They either repeat what was how they were raised or they say, I'm not going to repeat how I was raised. And then they swing in the other direction, sometimes too far. Mm-hmm. And most parents really don't, you know, here's the most challenging work we will ever have. The And I say that because it involves growing ourselves, not just raising the child and being mm-hmm. patient with the child but also the most sacred work there is. And yet we have so little preparation for it. And as I raised my son and then my daughter also, who came along four years later, I realized parents need support. It's the hardest job in the world and they need more support. So I really, for many years now, have limited my practice to talking with parents about their children. It's so important. As you said that, I'm like, oh, I fall into that category, kind of the winging it, read a little bit, talk to some people here, Mm. look at where, how I was brought up, change a few things, but you're spot, I mean, obviously, you know, you're spot on, but like, it's just, I think a lot of us don't even really know where to go for support and for information. There's so many books out there. So, and I've read a lot of your stuff as I was preparing for this, I was um, stalking your work a little bit, which is fantastic. Um, really great work. And so I appreciate your point of view. And you have on your website, you cover quite a range of of ages that you work with. But for today, I'd love to talk about, and it kind of seems a crossover between like older toddler to preschool. That's kind of the sweet spot I want to jump into. Can you talk a little bit about what one should expect developmentally for that age? Because I think sometimes with my own kids, I think my expectations of how I want them or how I think they should behave in their capacity to listen may not be where they are developmentally. Can you talk a little bit about that? Hmm. Sure. Well, one thing is that when a human being has full inner resource, then we can respond to what's happening in a very appropriate way usually. But think about ourselves as moms. When we were up all night with a crying baby when or a kid with an ear infection, when we are worried about money, when we had a fight with our husband or our partner the night before, when we're feeling like, um, you know, maybe we're a stay-at-home mom and we're starting to feel like, wow, I'm not really taken seriously and valued by society enough at this point. Back when I had my high-powered job, job, people listen to what I just say. Now even my three-year-old doesn't listen to what I have to say. So, you know, when we have, right. And when we have stresses on us, we are not going to be at our best, right? Whereas other times when we got a good night's sleep and we had a little time to ourselves and things are going beautifully and we're feeling really good about whatever, then we're going to be at our best. And the same thing is true of your two or three or four-year-old. So a two or three or four-year-old at their best is delightful. Mm -hmm. They're excited and curious about the world. They're affectionate to you. They're full of energy. They, you know, um, they're not whiny uh, because they got a good night's sleep and they're up for whatever. They're adaptable and willing to go along with you when you suggest something. They're cooperative, right? We all know when our children are are at their best, they're just fabulous. Mm -hmm. But How often are we, honestly, we parents truly at our best? Sometimes. And I work hard at being at my best. I meditate every day. I, you know, am physically active, all these other things that many moms don't have time to do. And I remember when I was the mother of young children, I wasn't at my best every day. How could you be, right? So I think we can't really expect our two, three, and four-year-olds to be at their best every day. Mm -hmm. And we do. Yet we do. We think, 
Well, he argues like a lawyer when he wants something. So he certainly can understand what I'm saying, right? But actually, when he's triggered emotionally, he can't understand what you're saying. When you're saying, no, we can't do that. We won't have time to do that. No, sweetheart, no. And he's saying, no, I need to do that, right? And you're thinking, what is wrong with him? What part of no doesn't he understand? But it's because he's feeling challenged at the moment, just like we all feel challenged sometimes. So I would just advise parents of any age child, but certainly a two, three, or four-year-old, to just notice where your child is at that moment. And when you said, what are they developmentally able to do? Well, it's not just what they're developmentally able to do. It's what they have the resources to do at that moment. So if you ask your child to do something and they immediately resist, then you have to stop, take a deep breath, calm yourself, and then try again in a more connected way. Because when children are having a hard time, their connection with you will always help them to ground themselves. It will get your, they, it's basically, you could think of it as borrowing your strength. Uh, psychologists would call it borrowing your ego strength. So really when the child doesn't have the strength inside to pull themselves together at that moment, if they can connect with you, they borrow your strength. So even though your child may develop mentally, be able to cooperate with your request, if they aren't doing it, there's a reason. They just don't have it able to do. Maybe they're tired. Maybe they're angry because you had the baby on your lap all morning. Maybe they're just a very strong-willed kid. And the way you ask them to do that got their hackles up because they felt controlled. Oh, it doesn't I, really gosh, matter what saying. the it's issue so is, yeah. right? So here's a question. First yeah. of all, everything you're saying, I'm like, I'm just like sitting here shaking my head. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. And I love that you're saying it's not just younger kids. Like I had this experience with my seven-year-old earlier today. Um, but when you're saying connect mm-hmm. with them, can you be more specific of like, what does that look like? So Referring back, I was telling my seven-year-old that he's about to have his eight-year doctor's appointment, and you know, every few years they take blood, and I just kind of want to put that out there for him. And it turned into this massive, massive fight. Um, no, I'm of not giving course. him my blood, and my husband's like, "Why did you say that?" I'm like, well, "I thought it was good to prepare him." So, it, so then I, I tried to approach him and kind of, I call it like changing the channel. I kind of tried to change the topic, but now I'm hearing you say like. And that was my way to try to connect with him. When you're saying connect, what's an example of of that? Is it talking to them? Is it rubbing their back? Is it just being in the space with them? And that that's really for any age. So connect will depend on the age, right? Mm-hmm. And will connect on your child's um, way of connecting, right? There are kids who connect in words and there are kids who connect when their back is rubbed. In the case that you're describing, your child had a lot of fear triggered about the blood draw. Mm -hmm. So he needs to know that it's going to be okay, that you're going to, you've got his back, that um, you, you can't say, oh no, it won't hurt. But you can say, you know what? It's, I mean, first of all, you have to back up. You have to drop that. You have to reconnect with a hug and say, oh my goodness, that sounds scary, huh? I remember when I was a kid and it was scary to get my blood drawn too. And I still don't like it. Or you could say, if it's true, you know, now it doesn't bother me at all. And someday it won't bother you, but I understand why you're a little scared about it. Don't worry, sweetie. We'll work it out. We'll figure it out. So that's the first thing you're reassuring, Mm -hmm. but connection could be simply, I hear what you're saying oh my goodness, you're barely upset about this. I was just letting you know about the doctor's appointment. I didn't know it would be scary to you to hear that. Tell me about what you remember about the last time you got your blood drawn. Yeah, it did hurt a lot, didn't it? Huh. I wonder if we could give you some Tylenol before you go in. I wonder if they have some numbing cream for your arm. I mean, which they do, by the way, usually. (laughs) Um, I wonder if there are things that we could do in advance, right? Um, And you know what I think? I think we should get out that old doctor's kit. You haven't played with it in a while, but maybe you'd like to try taking my blood, right? Because kids need to act this stuff out and they need the experience of feeling powerful in that 
medical encounter instead of feeling powerless and like somebody can just manhandle and hurt their body, right? Right. So there are a lot of things you can do for the doctor's appointment thing, right? And so it feels like a lot of this is about control for them because here they are little people and their, their lives and schedules are not really their own in a sense. So it's, is it showing like a, like, I hear you, I see you, we're doing this together. Cause I feel like, especially my younger one, it's all about control for her. I can open this. I'll do this. I want to do this. How, how can we foster that independence? But also we do have to be kind of the eyes and ears and the holder of the container. I think this is a really great insight, Deborah, that control question, because no one likes to feel powerless right. or out of control, no adult, no child, and children feel that way constantly, right? Yeah. So I do think it's what you said, you know, I, um, it's, it's seen it as independence. A lot of parents, when they think, oh, he's just trying to have control, they think it is a bad thing. Mm -hmm. It's a great thing that your child wants to assert some control and independence. And our job as the parent is to facilitate that. And obviously, when it's inappropriate, when they can't say no, we try to find something else that they can control, which is why the nurse in the doctor's office will say, which band-aid do you want after you have your blood draw, you know, right? There's something they can control at least. Or do you want to sit on your mom's lap or do you want her to stand next to you and hold your other hand so you can squeeze it, you know, or whatever. So we're giving them some control. I think that one way to avoid the power struggles and still get kids to move through the schedule the way we need them to. Yeah, that's exactly routines. what I was thinking. Like getting my kids out the door this morning for school, which they do every day, <laughs> it's such a struggle. So yeah, um, yeah, I love hearing this. Routines, okay. So if you can speak to well, that, routines a bit. are really important for kids because, right? It's routines are just what we do at that time of day every day. We clean up together, and it's not an onerous thing where mom says, "Okay, now clean up your toys." It's more like we sing a song. Mom just starts cleaning up and smiles at you, and there's nice warm interaction, and she moves it along, right? Mm -hmm. And if you're getting out the door in the morning, you want to make sure your routine has enough time for connection. So it's the combination of the routine with the connection that helps children move through it without a power struggle. This is so great. I think you're helping so many of the listeners because I know, and I see it with my own kids, even though I'm particularly routined. And you know, I find that when we stray from it, it really does throw them off. I also find that when we stray from it, they notice it. Like we always do dinner, bath and then a little downtime. And then they go upstairs and brush their teeth and we read. And there was one time I was running late. We were coming home late and we were going to just skip bath. And they both were like, no, it's, we like that. You know, so I think they depend on that. Um, but I see this, especially with really little kids, like getting the shoes on, it just becomes such a, a, a fight sometimes, or even just they're so involved with something else. So you're saying connect with the child to help move them along? Yes. And you asked before, well, what does connection look like? So yeah. it's different with different age kids and different children. But if you're trying to get your kids shoes on to mm -hmm. get them out the door for school, first of all, remember if you, um, every single day, there's a certain routine they go through where they brush their teeth and then they're allowed to play while you get the final things ready. And then they put their shoes on. Mm -hmm. You can expect a problem because you're letting them play before they put their shoes on. You have to do the things where you're engaged with them all at once, where you brush the teeth and then you get the shoes on. And then you say to them, maybe you have a little chart on the wall with your routine and you say to them, where are we on our chart? So they get to assert a little control and they look at it and they say, I brush my teeth. I went, I use the potty. I have my shoes on. And you say, give me five, give me five, give me five. That's fantastic. What else do we need to do? I need to have my backpack ready. Okay, so let's make sure your backpack's ready. And then when everything's done, if you really need to, you could let them play for a few minutes before you leave. But even that is going to be an issue because no one wants to stop playing and then leave for school. Because school is, first of all, it's a transition. Children don't want to stop playing. They don't want to transition. School may or may not be an inviting thing 
right? It's for some kids, it's like, oh, you're sending me to prison mm-hmm. and you're going to go off to wherever the place you prefer to me, which is work, or you're going to be, t- you're going to come home with the baby and spend the day at home with the baby and make me go to prison. Right. So it's a bad idea really to let them go off and play there. Um, hopefully you got up early enough that you're completely ready at that point. But if you do need to transition your child, make sure it's something that happens at the same time every morning and then make it really fun for them. Make it a connection. They have to get their shoes on. They don't want to get their shoes on. You say, you really don't want to put your shoes on, do you? Oh, these darling little feet and toes just want to be free, huh? (laughs) And you rub the little feet and toes and maybe you kiss them. And then you say, oh, but wait a minute. Do you hear that? Your shoe. It's talking. Do you hear it? You hold it to your ear and you say, your shoe is saying, I want to be on Ethan's foot. I want to be on Ethan. Ethan, do you hear that? Can you hear it? And and then you you say, okay, shoe, go on Ethan's foot. And you try to put it on his elbow or his ear. And Ethan says, no, 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 that's not my foot. And he puts it on his foot, right? So if you could do something like that, you would have created a lovely, warm interaction with your child and completely bypassed the fight. Oh, I and love this. And yet, most of us don't do that. <laughs> no. We, right? We think we shouldn't have to. We shouldn't have to. We think he should just put his shoes on. Well, maybe, but we're rushing him through a schedule to do what we want him to do. And his job in life is to explore, to play, to watch the little motes in the sunbeam in the window, you know, and here we are sort of running him through a schedule. So we do need to be prepared to use that playfulness because kids can't resist an invitation to play. And that enrolls them in whatever the next thing is to get through the transition. I'm going to try that. I think, I mean, I'm going to just see, I'm excited actually to try that because it does feel like there are many (laughs) things, many times I'm like, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. And I think, I can't remember which my kids just said, right. You're putting too much hurry in my mind. And I'm like, I'm really sorry. Um, but I like Aww. That. Aww. <laughs> that was really sweet that they articulated that way. But I realized that, and again, I don't think I'm, I'm, I'm using myself as an example, but I think many can relate, is that we do, we have a lot to do and and it's challenging. And I think maybe slowing down, like you said, also checking in with our, our own place, you know, how am I, what am I anxious about? Why do I need to get things moving so much? So these are really great yes. tools. Can we talk about whining? <laughs> Sure. Um, I endure it a lot and I'd love to understand it a little bit. Is there a reason they whine? Is there a way we can stop the whining? Let's just open that up. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. There are many reasons that children whine. And again, I'm going to ask you to think about ourselves as adults. There are times we whine. Yes. Right? Where we call our girlfriend or our sister and or we see our partner at the end of the day and we just whine. And there's a reason for it. We're exhausted. We we just can't cope anymore. We just wish somebody would rescue us, right? And that's often what's going on with our children. It's I think the number one reason children whine is that they don't have the internal resources at that moment to cope with what they feel is being asked of them, right? Sometimes we can address that by connecting, as I already said, that Mm -hmm. they can sort of borrow our resourcefulness and that will help them to cope. So the first thing to do when a child is whining is always to give them a hug and say, you are having a hard time, aren't you, sweetie? I hear your voice sounds tired and grumpy. Is that right? Are you feeling tired and grumpy? What's going on? Now, parents sometimes say to me, well, that's rewarding her for acting tired and grumpy and whiny. I'm not going to reward that whining voice, but how would we feel if we said to our partner at the end of the day or called our sister or friend and we whined and they said, I'm not even going to listen to this until you can use an adult voice. Mm -hmm. I don't want to reward you for being whiny like this. Can you imagine how you would feel if someone said that to you? Very invalidating. Yes. It's terrible. Yes. Totally invalidating. Exactly. So I think the thing to do with kids that is most effective is to immediately validate you're having a hard time, aren't you? Now, we're not changing the limit. If we're asking them to wash their hands, you know, and come to dinner or to try to 
finish their food or to try to, you know, to work with us a little longer to clean up the playroom that before we have dinner or whatever we're asking them to do that they've just fallen down on the carpet whining, you know, um, that we can still ask them to do those things. We can say, it's hard at the end of the day to have to clean up toys, isn't it? I know. You're pretty tired. You know, maybe we need to clean up a little earlier from now on when you still have more energy. And then we could just read a book after before we go to fix dinner. That makes sense, doesn't it? Because it's just so hard when we wait so long. But right now we do have to clean up. I'll tell you what. I'm going to hold your hand while we work together to clean up. You pick up that that block and I'll pick up this block and we'll hold hands too and we'll give each other squeezes so we stay strong. And if we stop, if we feel too tired, we're going to summon up our courage together, right? By singing a song. What's the bravest song you know? So again, you're helping them learn to manage themselves through a difficult task, right? Mm -hmm. But you're doing it by giving them more support. I'm actually glad I'm saying that I'm like, oh, I do a lot of this. And I was giving myself a little pat in the back. But then there's the times that, and I'm going to use again, something that happened recently. I was in the store. I was literally just going to CVS to pick out a Father's Day card. This was last weekend. And my daughter is with me. And whenever we go into a store, she turns into this monster of wanting to buy everything. And it turns mm-hmm. out into mm-hmm. whining. And, and we had a talk before we went in. We're just getting daddy's card. You can help me. I want your help. I love how well you pick out cards. You have such good eye for color. So like I prepped it and I said, we're not going to get anything else. We're just going to get daddy's card and thank you for being my helper. And then we get in there and she wants new hair bows and she wants a lip gloss. I should five. And I'm like, and it just turns into this whining struggle. Is there, is it, do I do the same thing? So that's a little different. No, okay. you don't. Well, so yes and no. So you, yes, you hold the limit, right? You're still asking her to do the hard thing, which is here she is. Remember, they don't understand money. How old is your daughter? Five. She's five. Yeah. So they don't understand money. They just think we could give them anything they wanted. So mm-hmm. here they are, they're surrounded in the store by the lip gloss and the hair ties and all the pretty things they want. And we've all felt like that, but we know it costs money and we know how hard it is to earn that money. And so we don't assume we should buy everything that we see, right? Mm-hmm. But for a five-year-old, they see all that stuff and they're like, yeah, why wouldn't you get that for me if you love me? And it oh. becomes almost a an experience that they have far too often if they have siblings and even if they don't, where they can't have what they want or what they think they need that they think will make them happy. Mm -hmm. And so what comes up is, once again, the things that would make me happy in life I can't have. I never get what I need, right? And there again is that powerless feeling that causes the whining, right? But I think this is deeper, This is a little deeper than being tired at the end of the day and not wanting to clean up your toys. This is more like, once again, I don't get what I want. And we've all had that feeling and it's a hard feeling. And I think the best way to handle that feeling is actually to acknowledge it. And like most big feelings, to let your child express it and cry about it. Because then it vanishes. Big feelings are a message. They're not just inconveniences. They're a message to us about something. And what your child is most likely feeling at that moment is, I really want all these things. I think they would make me happy, but I never get them. And if she, if you could, uh, you did a great job with warning her in advance. And as you're in the store, you would get down on her level, pull her to you, hug her and say, you really wish you could have hair ties and lip gloss. I hear you. Sweetheart, if you still want those things when it's your birthday, and her birthday could be eight months away, right? (laughs) Um, You know, or the holidays, Christmas or Hanukkah, whatever you celebrate, you know, Mm -hmm. Christmas and Hanukkah are six months away, right? So if you still want those things at the holidays, you know, then, then we'll put them on your list for you and maybe you'll get lucky then. I hear how much you want them and they do look great. I can see why you would like them. And I see how much you want them. And remember, we're not buying anything special today. This is this is just for our Father's Day card. And she will whine again. She might start crying if you've been very empathic. If you've really empathized, she might be like, oh, but I need them, which would be bingo. That'd be great. If you're more 
aware of the people around you and a little less empathic and just more going through the motions. Like we might get them then, but really we're not going to do it. I warned you about this. Uh She's not going to cry because she won't feel empathized with. She'll whine more. And that's okay because that's a way to get her to the checkout. You'll hold her hand. You'll take her whining right through the checkout. She'll, she might even begin to act out. She might even grab at the candy bars at the checkout because she just wants you to know how big she, this feeling is. So you might have to pick her up and hold her and you pay the checkout clerk and you leave and you go into the, your car if you have a car and you pull her into your lap in the back seat and you say, sweetheart, you had such a hard time in there. You really wish you could have those things. And you be as empathic as you can. I think she'll start to sob. And that would be fantastic. Because if she can really get in touch with all that longing for what she really wants that she never gets, you will resolve some sibling rivalry, I guarantee you. Mm -hmm. You will resolve the whining so next time she goes in the store, she's more able to cope because she doesn't have all those needs and wants clamoring inside her, right? And you'll have a really much better day for the rest of your day. If you don't let her cry at that point, you could find that your whole day will take a dive because Mm -hmm. she's got all these feelings jostling up to get healed, right? But, But if you just help to cry, hold her, accept feelings, acknowledge it. I know sometimes you see these pretty things and you really wish you could have them. I know. And then she cries and cries. And you might even find that she falls asleep on the way home in the car because it really took something out of her. But because she also was already tired and, you know, that's why she was so whiny. But you'll have really helped her move through some feelings that she'd been carrying around with her. I love what I'm hearing, and I, this is something I really believe in, is that it's about ex- letting the feelings, one, again, going back to the idea of validating, and two, let them express it, because I feel like we're constantly in our culture, don't feel that, don't feel that, don't feel that. So if we let them feel it, process it, then they're not going to be so scared of their feelings, and maybe I'm getting too out of what I know, Um and then they're going to, no, you're to actually feel right. their feelings. Um, I don't think I'm crazy, but this is how I, my life, I used to be a performer. And I always told my husband, I said, if you want to know what I'm feeling, listen to me in the shower. Because I truly believe having the access to put words to feelings and sing them out has saved my sanity. And so it kind of feels like the same mm-hmm. thing. We're giving ourselves the permission to feel. Because I think a lot of people don't know how to feel. And if we're always telling our kid, don't cry, don't whine, don't feel that, it's just going to bottle it up. Am I, I, maybe I'm just babbling because I, I have no background in this. It's just no, my you're belief. completely <laughs> correct. You're completely correct. This is indeed what the research shows. And what we know about emotionally healthy humans is that their parents did what we call emotion coaching. Instead of, because think about what we do when kids have big emotions. We distract them. We give in and all right, all right, I'll buy it, mm-hmm. right? So the kid stops the whining. But meanwhile, we've never helped with that big amount of longing. And we all know that when you get that lip gloss or hair tie home, it's like when you get that new pair of shoes home, you're happy for about 10 minutes, maybe a day. That's it, right? Yeah. She's going to have the same feelings there that she never worked out. So we, we distract kids from the feelings. Sometimes we shame kids. You know, I just bought you hair ties last week, or you got new sneakers last week. What do you think? Money grows on trees, right? Or why can't you be your, like your sister? She's standing here. She's not asking for anything. She listened to what I said before we came in the store, mm-hmm. right? So we shame kids. We make them feel bad about their longings, right? And there's so many ways that we try to talk kids out of their feelings and we take away their voice. We take away their emotions and we take away their voice, but the emotions don't really go away. They just get stuffed. And then guess what happens? Eventually they Mm self-medicate. They self-medicate by compulsive shopping or drugs, a lot of wine in the teenage years or other liquor, you know, drugs. Absolutely. If we can give kids a way to feel and express their emotions in a healthy way, they don't carry that full emotional backpack around and they don't have to self-medicate. Yeah, I mean, that's I like that we're even talking about this for like the younger kids up because I, I'm really into the idea of like let their feelings get expressed. I say that and it's still challenging. I mean, I'm certainly not an expert at handling it, but yeah, I do. I want them to have their feelings. It's just sometimes I find it hard. What about when parents, and again, this kind of brings me back to what 
originally I was asked to ask you about is when they talk back, especially that really, like, this is how my student asked about, like, they're two or three-year-old just being sassy. What do you do with that type of emotion? Mm. Well, what does sassy, so let's think about what sassy means. A two or three-year-old being sassy. Yeah. Um, did not likely learn that at school, right? Like 12 year old will trot out something she heard at school and try it on you to see whether you'll put up with it. And the appropriate response to the 12 year old is more like, excuse me, you know, we don't talk to each other that way in this house. Mm -hmm. Let's try that one again. Right. And then the kid stops doing it. But a two or three year old didn't hear it at school. There's a reason they're being defiant. When you say they're being sassy, they're like, you can't be the boss of me. No, I'm not going to do it. You can't make me, right? Isn't Mm -hmm. that really what it is? But that's not sassiness. Sassiness assumes that it's about you, that it's being rude to you, that they're intentionally being rude to you. That's not what's going on in a two or three-year-old developmentally. What the two or three-year-old is doing is saying, stop bossing me around. Stop making me feel like I don't matter, like you're not listening to me, like like I have no right to decide what happens to my body, right? Mm-hmm. They know who's the boss. Believe me, they may say you can't make me, but they know when it's bedtime, it's bedtime because the parents say so, right? They they don't they don't actually harbor any illusions about who's in charge. So if they're being sassy, they're saying to you, it's it's a plea for respect, actually. They're saying to you, no, I won't. It's not about you. It's it, except to the degree that it's saying, I'm feeling unheard. So if a, if a two or three-year-old, I'm just trying to think of an example, a two or three-year-old says, no, I won't, or you can't make me, or I want a new mommy, or I hate you, that's not sassy. That's the child trying to show you how upset they are. And so immediately I would stop, drop, and breathe. So stop, drop your agenda, take a deep breath, which does interrupt those neurotransmitters and stress hormones that suddenly started to cascade through your body Mm -hmm. when your two or three-year-old started to push all your buttons. Take the deep breath and turn and say, get down on their level, which reduces the threat and increases the connection. Mm -hmm. Now, don't if you have a hitter, a kid who hits you, don't get so close, they're going to hit your face, but do get down on their level where it decreases the threat. Look at them, be as warm and loving and patient as you can and say, wow, you are really upset to say that to me. And it could even be, I hate you, I want a new mommy, right? Which is button pushing material, right? But you're just taking it as information about the child, their mood, their need, their upset. Wow, you must really be upset to say that to me. Sweetheart, what's going on? Now, you may know what's going on, which is that you told them it's time to take a bath and they said no because they don't want to stop. They don't want to go you know, inside or whatever, right? But if you do know, you can say, you really don't want to go inside. You've been loving playing outside, haven't you? Now you've joined with them. Now they're going to start saying, yes, yes, I have been loving playing outside. Yes, someone understands me. Yes, I I could actually feel connected with here by my mom or dad who says this to me. So I might even be open to their influence. I might listen to what they have to say to me because they're listening to me, right? So don't get distracted by sassiness. Just take it as a cue that you need to, whatever is missing in the situation, it's our job to bring that. Mm -hmm. And what was missing here was respect, respect and listening. So now we have brought respect and listening and we've changed when we show up differently, our child will show up differently. Yeah. I'm, I'm really loving hearing this. I have to, again, come back to how I can, as a parent also relate to it. And I think it's just like, it. you keep saying like respect and listening. How is, I think, how great is that for everyone? How often are we all so on our own agenda, even as adults relating with other adults, we may not always respect and listen. So just that message in general to embody for all our interactions, I think would be incredibly healthy and helpful. So I wanted to talk a little bit about... Yes. And I want to just add... Yeah. I wanted to just add for, if you're listening to this and thinking, but I'm not going to let my child disrespect me that way. Remember that a two or three-year-old or even a seven or eight-year-old, the way they learn is from the standard that we demonstrate. So if you're modeling respect... Your child, just like the 12-year-old who you said, oops, excuse me, let's try that one again, shall we? The two or three-year-old is going to do the same thing. It's just a different version of you modeling 
what you expect from your child. And that doesn't mean you don't set limits. You can say to your child, you can be as mad as you want, no hitting. Or you can tell me in words, say, no, mommy, I don't like that. Don't kick at me, right? If they're you're trying to put their shoe on or whatever. So you're not, not letting them uh, be inappropriate with their behavior, but they are allowed to express to you what they feel. And yes. that's not, feelings are not bad behavior. And even verbal expression of feelings is not bad behavior. Thank you for clarifying that. I think that's important. I want to ask, and then I know I'm using a lot of your time, so I'll be quick with this one, about consequences. I've heard conflicting information. I've had some people say, don't, we do consequences. Um, and we try to have it relate directly to uh, whatever the situation was. Like my son did something at school about lunch and then we're like, okay, well, like he dropped his lunch on the floor, although the, the school aid thinks he did on purpose so he could buy. And then we said, you know, you, we think you did on purpose. We didn't want you buying that day. So you're not going to get pizza day on Friday. So we did kind of a, an eye for an eye type of consequence. Can I, what are your thoughts on that, on type of consequences? So consequence is a euphemism, as you're describing. It's a punishment. Yeah. It's, so let's just drop the euphemism. A <laughs> consequence is a result of something. When I turn on the light, I turn on the switch, there's light in the room. That's a consequence of my turning on the light. And there will absolutely be times when in order to enforce a limit, you there is a consequence, like we know that the rule in the sandbox is no throwing sand because it hurts people's eyes. We've had the discussion. The kid starts throwing sand. We don't say, oh, Jamie, please stop throwing sand, would you? No. You say, Jamie, no throwing sand. And Jamie throws the sand again. You pick Jamie up and you take him out of the sandbox. So is that a consequence? It's enforcing your limit. That's how I think of it. So you don't enforce the limit in a punitive way. You don't say to Jamie, Jamie, how could you, you bad kid? You know better than that. You sit over here and you think about what you did wrong, right? That's punishment. But I'm just saying, you take Jamie out of the sandbox and you say, Jamie, the rule in the sandbox is no throwing sand. You know that. We're going to stay over here. We're going to calm down. And Jamie says, no, I need to be in the sandbox. And you say, I know. It was just too hard for you to not throw the sand. We're going we're gonna to wait until you feel like you can you can agree to not throw the sand. And you talk to him about it. Maybe you say, it's too hard for today. We'll come back tomorrow. And you take him out of this, the park, you know, whatever. That's enforcing your limit. Is it a consequence? Well, yes. But if you don't treat it as a punishment, then it isn't. You can even do it as you're your child's assistant. You're their backup where you say to them, before you go back into the sandbox, you know, let's think how we can help you remember so you don't have to get out of the sandbox next time. What could you do if you feel like throwing sand? And you're not lecturing him. You're brainstorming with him because you're his backup so that he can get what he wants, which is time in the sandbox, right? So all of that is not punitive, even though it's a consequence. So what you're describing where your son thought, because he's a smart guy, (laughs) hmm, I could buy lunch and not have to eat this stupid packed lunch I have if I just drop it on the floor. Let me try that. And he does it. Let's, I mean, I'm assuming you're correct in your assumption about why he did it. It's conceivable that he didn't do it on purpose. But let's assume that maybe it's the third time he's done it and the school has a reason for assuming this and whatever. Yes. And so he did it on purpose. It's com- it right. It's completely reasonable to say to him, sweetheart, when we give you a lunch, you need to eat that lunch that day. If you forget it on the school bus, if you drop it on the floor, if the dog eats it, that's too bad because it means you won't have lunch that day. But you can't buy that day. You can't just decide when to buy. That's a grown-up decision, whether you're buying your lunch that day. If you want to talk to us about days when you'd like to buy lunch and days when you don't, we could have a family discussion or your dad and I could talk about that with you and we could make an agreement. But when you're taking your lunch, it's because the parents have decided which days are in our budget for you to buy lunch and which days you're going to take lunch with you. So you can't make the decision by by just dropping your lunch. So we want you to know that if you ever drop your lunch again, you will have to go hungry that day. It will feel bad because being hungry isn't any fun, but that's what's going to have to happen. 
are we do does that do you understand yeah. our position do, are you in agreement that that's what's going to happen and you sh- shake on it then we always keep our promises that's our agreement that's that it's done if it happens next week he doesn't get to buy he goes hungry period I'm yeah. betting he won't do it again. That is that that's an enforcement of your limit. I think it's different than saying because you did that, you won't be able to buy on Friday when it's pizza day. That's a punishment. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think it's a terrible onerous punishment and it's clearly related to the crime. But I think it's a li- little bit like he makes a chess move and then you make a chess move. That's not what you're trying to do. You're just trying to enforce your limit. Right. I think I think what you said is about the the chess moves is I think that resonates with a lot of people as well as me, you know. So it's about I like that enforce your limit as opposed to you do this I do this you do this I do this. That's really useful. Oh, I love this. I feel like I've gotten so many tidbits. <laughs> I hope the community has. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to ask for one piece of advice or tip you'd like to offer a new expectant parents that we didn't cover. We covered so much. All right, we'll be right back. Okay, we are back. So as we're wrapping up, I know we covered so much juicy information. Do you have a final piece of advice or tip you'd like to offer new or expectant parents? Well, for expectant parents, I would say, if this is their first child, right, um, and they're, they're going to be new parents, I would say there's a lot of focus on the pregnancy and the birth, You've probably spent a lot of time thinking about it, talking about it, reading about it, going to classes about it, but it's over. Even a long birth is over faster than you'd think. And then you're going to have a real life human being. So I would spend some time now talking with your partner and making, giving yourself resources and even making decisions about things that will be really important for the first three months after birth. Give your, don't, so, and the thing to know is you will not be able to do anything except care for that child. Presumably one parent can stay home for a few months after the child is born uh, and you'll need support. You know, if you're planning to nurse, make sure you have a lactation consultant lined up. Even if you don't end up using them, make sure that you have, you know, figured out somebody you want. Of course, you probably have a pediatrician lined up. But make sure you have a time where both partners are going to be home together in the immediate days after birth. If you're lucky enough to have a partner, I assume you're not a single parent listening, but if you're lucky enough to have a partner, make sure you're both there and make sure that you have talked about and have some parameters set for how other people will be in your life. So, you know, I'm thinking of one mom whose in-laws were wonderful people and they swooped down and they took over. They took care of the baby. And they basically had the baby and she never had that bonding time with her son before she had to go back to work. So you don't want that. The most important thing for you is the bonding time. Let your in-laws do the laundry, go shopping, make you dinner. You should do nothing but hold that baby, bond with that baby. If you're going to nurse, nurse, you know, have that time to learn, to have that time to connect and to learn how, who this new person is that you're with. Uh, so that you can feel completely relaxed. And remember that babies, babies, um, they're learning every minute. They may seem a little sleepy. They may seem like, because they don't talk, we don't know what's going on in there. The, the, they already have the foundations of whatever language you speak. They have the foundations because they've been listening while they were in utero. They already recognize your voice and the voices of anyone else who they've you've been near a lot while you were pregnant. They already know the pieces of music you've been listening to during your pregnancy that were your favorite pieces of music. They are always learning right from the beginning. And so our job is to show up and be, um, to give them the environment that will most support their peaceful entry into their new life. Mm. I love that. That is a fantastic offering. Thank you. Where I, I love the, I love everything you've said. Where can people find your work? Well, uh, I have a website, mm-hmm. AHA, like, aha, like those aha moments, aha parenting.com. 
It's about a thousand pages. It's got info for parents of all age children and pregnancy during pregnancy. I also have three books out. Peaceful Parent, Happy Kids is my basic book. The Peaceful Parent, Happy Kids workbook takes that work deeper. So if you've been listening to this and thinking, yeah, but that assumes I could stay calm when he's pushing my <laughs> buttons and trying to you know, give me a really hard time. Well, get your hands on Peaceful Parent, Happy Kids. But if it still feels hard to you after reading that, then go for the workbook because that takes the work deeper. It teaches you how to set limits. It helps you develop more empathy. It gives you very specific ways to connect with your child. And it helps you work through your own triggers, de-excavating, so you don't get triggered so often. And then my third book is The Peaceful Parent, Happy Siblings. So if you're pregnant with your second child, get it while you're pregnant, because it has ways to talk to your older child about what's going to happen when the baby's born and sort of to prepare them so that they can adapt as well as possible. Oh, these are great. I'm actually going to order um, the workbook. <laughs> I, need, I need some more tips okay. for I, I, I ordered the first one. I have to order the workbook now. <laughs> you spoke to me on that one. Well, I wanted to thank you so much. I felt like I could keep going, going, but I want to respect your time and um, we'll wrap things up. But I really enjoyed everything you said, all your very uh, intuitive offerings and insightful uh, uh, offerings that you gave to the community. Thank you for your time. And thank you for the work that you do for for all that encounter it. Okay. Have a good afternoon. I would just like to say thank you to... Oh, thanks. I would just like to say thank you to every parent listening because this is the hardest work in the world and the most important. Yes. Wonderful. Have a good afternoon. Be well. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com.